Welcome to the All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We are committed to being rooted in the scriptures and the historic Christian faith and to kingdom life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you listen, may you be encouraged and empowered to know the Lord Jesus and make Him known. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. All right, everyone. Let's look into the scriptures together for a few minutes here. You can hang out after church. That is a regular practice for many of us. Some of us aren't out of here until after one. All right, first passage we're going to look at is 1 Corinthians 11. So you can grab your Bible. I mentioned this is part two. We did the meaning and power of communion a few weeks ago. I wanted to say thank you to Harrison and to Claire for preaching the past two Sundays. I've heard from you and I've watched. They did a wonderful job bringing the word. Thank you. So today we're going to take some time here to look further into the meaning and power of communion. And as we did a few weeks ago, we mentioned some of the other names. And so the Lord's Supper and the Eucharist and Holy Communion. And what I want you to think about today is that the Lord's Supper actually becomes for us Eucharist, which is a word that means thanksgiving. And then the Eucharist becomes for us Holy Communion. Do you see that? The Lord's Supper leads to thanksgiving and praise to the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And then that thanksgiving and praise brings Holy Communion between you and the Lord and one another. So there's different names to shine the light on different aspects of this diamond that celebrates the crucified, resurrected Jesus. So today we're going to look at remembering and proclaiming Christ's death. We're going to look at receiving God's love through Holy Communion. We're going to look at how communion nourishes us, Christ the bread of life. And then we're going to look lastly very quickly at being unified as Christ's church through the Lord's Supper, through the Eucharist, through Holy Communion. So Lord, we ask you for your grace, for your presence, your continued presence as we look into Scripture, as we meditate together on your death, your shed blood, and your resurrection. And we pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26, if you want to look there. This is one that we typically read when we do communion as a church on Sundays. And as you're watching, we're in kind of a 
uh, a shift. We're trying to learn how to implement communion every Sunday. We do it every third Sunday as a church with the servers up here. And then on the alternate Sundays, we have communion on my left and my right here. And that seems to be working at least for now. So remembering and proclaiming Christ's death. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. The Apostle Paul says this, I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this right here kind of encapsulates what Holy Communion is about And Paul talks about receiving this powerful sacrament or means of grace from Christ. And so it comes from Christ through the apostles to practice for all time. And we saw that last time we looked at communion, right? We remember Christ's broken body and shed blood through the bread and the cup. Now if you can remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at the Lord's Supper and how it was rooted in an event in Exodus 12. What was that, church? We said that it was prefigured. The Lord's Supper was prefigured in an Old Testament event and practice. What was it? The Passover. I heard from two of you. Thank the Lord, two of you were listening. Exodus 12. And so we saw that Jesus, with his disciples, they were celebrating the Passover, and Christ made it the Last Supper. And at that moment, it was becoming, he was becoming the Passover for us. And just like the Passover, I want us to to meditate on this. I really want our experience of Holy Communion to be richer. And so just like the Passover meal we saw they're entering into the story, the celebration of God's deliverance for them that's about to take place. The same happens for us, friends. When we come to the table, when we partake of the body and blood of Christ, it's not just something that we do externally. We're actually entering into the story and entering into the event, just like the Jews did with the Passover. It's much more than just kind of a symbolic external action. You with me on that? Even you kiddos, you are entering into something that's been happening for well over 2,000 years. We're celebrating, we're entering in, we're declaring the power of the cross through this. I read this quote this week. It's from the Orthodox Study Bible, and listen, it's commenting on this passage. We presently celebrate Holy Communion in Christ's invisible presence though one day we will feast with Christ face to face in his kingdom. And that's what we're doing. When we come to the Lord Jesus, we celebrate communion together. His invisible presence is with us and we're looking forward to that day when we'll be with him in his kingdom. Now, there's a whole other section after what we just read, isn't there? 
1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, and some of you have had conversations. If you look at the passage, I'm not going to read it. You can read it later. But in recent months, really over the last year, year and a half, there's been some teaching by some influential folks that have gotten people to think about what it means to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Let me just ask, how many of you have heard about that over maybe the last year or two? Quite a few hands here. Francis Chan was one of the the people that was teaching on this and really stirring people up to consider more deeply what's happening at communion. But one of the implications of that, the ripple effects, was people were starting to come to Holy Communion with some anxiety, some trepidation. And so I want to address that a little bit. I did, I mentioned it a few weeks back, but Paul is very specific when he talks about partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. He's talking about coming to the table with hidden, ongoing, habitual sin. He talks about that in chapter 6. And then he also talks about the Corinthian church treating people of lower social status as having less worth and value. So you see these specific things that he's addressing, right? He's also acknowledging that what they're used to doing before they're Christians is they would come together and they would have a feast together and they would eat too much and get drunk. And so Paul is trying to teach them a new way of feasting in Christ And it's not the old pagan way where you stuff your faces and you gorge yourself with food and then you get drunk. He's saying, you got to leave that behind. There's a new way of feasting in Christ, sharing a meal together, and then celebrating the body and blood of Christ at the end of that meal. And you've got to approach this with respect for each other. That is what Paul is specifically addressing To partake of it in an unworthy manner means that you're coming and doing what you did as a pagan. And you're grabbing the food before other people can eat and you're stuffing your face and then you're drinking to excess and Paul is saying, time out. Are we clear on that? So that's what Paul is addressing here. I think some people heard some of this fresh teaching on the Lord's Supper and they began to get overly self-introspective. They started thinking, before I can take communion, I have to turn inward and do a really deep, thorough examination to make sure that I'm okay before I come to the table. Otherwise, I'm going to be judged and disciplined by the Lord. Do you hear me on this? Friends, we come to the table, the whole point is that we come to the table to receive mercy from the Lord Jesus. Yes, we do examine ourselves. If you're stuck in habitual sin, you have something to work through with someone else, then that needs to be done. But the notion that you or I could do thorough enough self-examination before we come to the table really cuts against the grain of the whole gospel. Do you hear me on that? We come to the table in the current state that we're in and we ask, Lord, have mercy on us. Through your body, through your blood, would you tenderize us and change us? Help us to be repentant. All right, so do you see there, and I could say much more about that, but what I want us to do is to come to the table with great joy. 
That's what Peng was doing this morning, wasn't he? He's about to come out of his skin because he's been radically saved by Jesus and Jesus is touching him with his presence. We should be filled with joy as we come to the table. Do you hear that? I'm trying to just make a little pastoral adjustment there. You still come to the table thinking about what God is doing in you, examining, looking, but that's not the overall point for you to be caught up in self-examination and a thorough self-inventory, right? You do a little bit of that, but you come to the table to receive medicine from the physician so that he can heal you, he can heal me, amen? All right, second thing here, look at Romans 5, 8 through 10. We remember and proclaim Christ's death, but then Romans 5, 8 and 10 tells us at communion, at the Lord's table, we receive God's love, salvation, and blessings in Christ. Romans 5, 8 through 10. You got your Bibles with you? Some of you do. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says this. Again, keeping in mind, coming to the Lord's Supper. But God proves or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. Friends, when we come to the table, we're receiving the Father's love. So this morning, for those of you that are going to come to the table, you are celebrating the fact that God loves you big time. That's it. That's the message of communion, of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper, is that I am loved by the Father and that he's demonstrated how much he loves me as a sinner through the self-offering of Christ on the cross. And this passage right here, just these few verses, let us know that the Father is reaching out to us in our sinful place, in our sinful state, in our process, and he's saving us from the abyss of our sin and of ourselves. And so the message of communion is the Father saying, I love you. I love you. I love you in spite of you. I love you and I am at work in you and my son came to save and rescue you from your sin and from yourself. And we could go on, and from your pride, and from your self-confidence, and from your tendency to stray, all of those things. Holy communion is the moment where the Father is drawing us to himself. Amen? You hearing me on that? That is good news. That's the gospel. The table preaches the gospel. Every time we partake of the body and blood of Christ, we celebrate the fact that we're justified by his blood. We were singing about this this morning, weren't we? Singing about his righteousness. In this text, Romans 5, 
8 and following says many, many things. But even as we come to communion, it's a reminder that as sinners clothed in Christ, we are coming to him and we're reminded that in the holy courtroom where we stand before a holy God, rather than hearing you're guilty, we're hearing you're not guilty through the blood of Christ. Friends, this is why we should be filled with joy. The table reminds us that we're justified by the blood of Christ. The verdict that is against us is amended. We're no longer guilty. And this text reminds us too that apart from Christ, apart from the body and blood of Christ, we're under the wrath of God. That's true. You were, I was, maybe someone here who hasn't put their faith in the Lord Jesus, you are under God's discipline and his wrath and it's time to turn to Christ and come to him and put your full faith and confidence in him. And that's not necessarily a a popular message these days. Again, I call them bumper sticker messages. You don't see that on a lot of bumper stickers driving around Oklahoma City or Edmond, do you? You're under the wrath of God unless you turn to Christ with faith. Maybe some of you have that. I'm not sure, but it is a biblical message that we have to pay attention to. It's part of even the message of Holy Communion. Friends, we were under the judgment of God to be separated from him for all time, but because of the body and blood of Christ and the Father's love for us, we're now no longer children of wrath, but children of God's love. You awake today? You're a child of God's love. The third thing here is found in John 6. Look at it quickly. John 6, 53 to 57. Through Holy Communion, the Eucharist where we give thanks, we are nourished spiritually by the Lord Jesus. This one's a whopper here. This one right here, when you hear it, I was reading it again this morning on the drive here, and I was just reminded, I looked at Amanda and said, this is a tough word. Can you imagine hearing this? The original audience listened to this. Jesus saying this to his disciples and other people that are gathering around him. Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide or remain in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. You think that would have gotten your attention if you heard Jesus and he had been teaching on the parables of the kingdom? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like yeast. Enter by the narrow gate. And then all of a sudden he turns and says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it was at that point, the gospel tells us, that some people said, I'm out. This is too much. Now we're on holy ground with this passage, right? This is holy and filled with mystery and depth and meaning. Wouldn't you agree? 
So we're not going to be able to, to plumb the depths of that in a few minutes. But I do want to make a, a couple of comments. And one is, friends, this is symbolic language, isn't it? Now, some of my Catholic and Eastern Orthodox friends would get a little bit nervous right now and maybe push back on it a little bit, but I'm going to do my best from a Protestant perspective to say that this text is not advancing cannibalism. I think that's part of what, and I'm not saying that the Orthodox and Catholics believe in cannibalism, just bear with me, but that's the, the literal nature of the interpretation that some of those original audience had they thought this dude is talking about us literally eating his body right here. So friends, there is a symbolic mystery to these words. Would you agree? Because Jesus also says in other places, I am the door or I am the gate. Or as Amanda was telling me, even this morning, Christ teaches hate certain people. That is symbolic language. He's basically saying your loyalty to me should eclipse your loyalty to other people. So we have to keep in mind the symbolic nature of Jesus and his teachings. Do you see that here? Do you see it? Do you hear it? He's not advocating cannibalism or vampirism, right? And frankly, some of the early opponents of early Christianity thought that Christians got together and committed acts of cannibalism. They said, you guys are crazy. That is not the point. The point is that this is very deep, mysterious language that speaks about Christ who is the bread of life. Christ is the bread of life. Can we say that together? Christ is the bread of life. And he nourishes us. That's the point of the passage here. Through his life, his person, his death, his resurrection, he feeds us spiritually and gives us what we need. Just like physical food nourishes us and physical drink satisfies us, so Christ alone. There is no other food and no other drink that will satisfy the human soul. Maybe today you're sitting here and you are hungry and thirsty, and you've been going to the wrong places. You've been eating Twinkies spiritually. Or maybe you've been in the gutter eating and drinking there. And Jesus is saying through this passage, I alone can satisfy you. Through who I am, through my life, my death, my resurrection, you must, through faith, lay hold of that. That is what it means to partake or eat of Christ is through faith, through devotion to him, through love to him, reaching out and saying, I am taking in the nourishment that you are and that you are provide. Do you see that, church? This is the essence of our faith that we're celebrating here. And in the backdrop is the message that no pleasure no money, no sexual pleasure, no food, no possessions, no power, no fame, no influence. None of that stuff is going to satisfy your restless heart. St. Augustine says, Lord, my heart was restless until I came to rest in you. Friends, we're restless people. Only Christ as the bread of life. 
can nourish us. Well, now that I've stirred that pot enough and left questions, and we looked, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago that for many Christians, the Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox, they believe that the bread and the wine or the juice literally are transformed in their substance invisibly to become Christ. And I have great respect for that. There's reverence, there's awe, I have great respect around it, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I think Christ teaches us where there's two or more people gathered, there I am in their midst. So when we come and we partake of the bread and the cup, Christ is there in our midst. Do you believe that? The Lord Jesus is there mysteriously. To use a Christian word, mystically, Christ is there. And as we reach out to him and take in the nourishment that he provides, we experience him. Communion is meant to be an encounter with him, not something that we just do robotically or without thinking about it and approaching him. We want to encounter the resurrected Lord Jesus. Do you want to encounter Jesus through the table? I certainly do. The last thing here, let's look at this as we close. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 17. So you can go back to 1 Corinthians. Jesus teaches that we're nourished by him as the bread of life, as the one who provides spiritual drink. And now 1 Corinthians 10, 17 teaches us lastly, this fourth point, that as we partake of Holy Communion, we're unified as Christ's church. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says this, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So Paul is using this picture of a loaf of bread, and he's saying that just like bread is made out of many individual grains, those individual grains come together and become one loaf. And he's looking at the church and he's saying, you also are like little individual grains of wheat that are formed into one loaf of bread. And it becomes a symbol. Communion strengthens our unity. Did you know when we do this, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating the reality of Revelation 7-9. Revelation 7-9 says that before the throne, there are people from every, somebody help me out here, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And so through Holy Communion, through the Lord's Supper, we are experiencing a glimpse of that. People coming from every background, every walk of life are coming together. We are almost like the robe of many colors that Joseph wore. Christ wears a robe of many colors and it's us. We come to him, he is the king, he's the greater Joseph, he sits on the throne and we are a garment. We come to him in communion, through one bread and one cup, 
All of us. Just look around for a minute. Look around. Does everybody look alike in here? No, we're American, but we come from different places, maybe even different countries, totally different walks of life, different shapes, different sizes. Those of you that have hair, different hairstyles. But through communion, we come to the one Lord. We come to the one Father by the one Spirit. And we as individual kernels coming from every tribe and tongue and people and nation are brought together as one loaf. Amen? Church, why don't we stand? Just hoping to stoke a little bit of that theological fire in us, the meaning and power of communion. Through it, we remember and proclaim Christ's death. We receive God's radical love through Christ. We're nourished by the Lord Jesus, and we're unified as Christ's church. Next Sunday, we're going to look at prayer trying to do some foundational, some basics here, and we'll look at prayer next week. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together in your presence through worship in song and singing and worship through the word of God and worship through the sacrament, through the Lord's Supper, through communion, through Eucharist and Thanksgiving. We pray you would take us deeper as a church into the reality and the mystery of your broken body and your shed blood. We pray that in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So we're learning to do several things here. They overlap. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up, if you would. And if you are in need of a breakthrough from God, you need prayer for your body, your mind, maybe for a loved one, a situation, you can come up with one of these folks here. Going to need some more people to come up. Another thing we're doing is growing the prayer team. Going to need some more people, three or four of you, maybe some young adults to come up and be a part of the prayer team. And then you can peel off as well and participate in communion. And then as I said earlier, you're getting the drill here, you know, communion on the left, communion on the right over here people serving that. So you can get Holy Communion and then you can come and receive prayer as well. And we'll linger in the Lord's presence. Love having you in here, kiddos, you young ones. It's good. Future leaders of this church, love having you in here. All right, let's linger in the Lord's presence together, church. Come to the table. Come for prayer ministry.